Hey friends, it's Corey Andrew Powell here, letting you know it's time to treat yourself with an exclusive Motivational Mondays deal at the NSLS shop. Listeners get 20% off shop-wide with the code MONDAYS. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Need a new coffee tumbler? Or perhaps you want to keep it classy with a new hardcover notebook? Well, get them on sale. Listen, with this deal, I'm tempted to trade in my bow tie collection for one of those cute NSLS hoodies. And don't forget, use code MONDAYS at checkout. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Enjoy that 20% off at shop.nsls.org. And stay motivated, leaders. Stay motivated. Hello, everyone. I'm joined today by Amy Porterfield. She's an ex-corporate gal turned online marketing expert, author of the New York Times bestselling book, Two Weeks Notice, which I have here. It's a great book. And CEO of a multi-million dollar business. Today, Amy empowers people across the globe to take their futures into their own hands, find professional autonomy, independence, achievement, and success. Amy, welcome to Motivational Mondays. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I have to tell you what I love about your book. There's so many books you know, that sort of profess to have the answers to how you can get your life together. But I love that your book is full of actionable steps. You know, you're not just giving a whole bunch of lip service and uh, you're, you know, you're really giving practical advice. But before we do that, the book is detailed about your journey, but maybe just give us a little bit your synopsis of your journey from being that corporate gal to becoming an online marketing expert. I always say that I'm an accidental entrepreneur. I'm an ex-corporate girl, but when I was at corporate and had a nine to five job, I loved it. I was really good at following the rules and having a boss and trying to go up that corporate ladder and make more money and get the rewards and accolades and all of that. That whole world, I could navigate in well and I knew it well. However, long story short, I found myself in my very last nine to five job. I worked for uh, peak performance coach, Tony Robbins, mm -hmm. and I was the director of content development. And I got to travel the world with Tony and work on the content that he did on stage. So it was an amazing job, paid well, treated well. However, one day Tony had a meeting where he brought in a bunch of online business owners. They were all men. And I was humbly brought into the meeting to take notes. So I sat at a side table and Tony went around and said, tell me about your businesses. And all I heard was freedom. These guys were talking about the fact that they worked when they wanted, how they wanted, where they wanted. They were as creative as they wanted to be. They were making a lot of money and a big impact on their clients and their students. And I didn't know what they were doing or how the heck they were doing it. But in that moment, I thought, I want it. I want what they have and I got to figure this out. So fast forward a year after that fateful meeting, and I decided to leave my nine to five job and, and try out entrepreneurship. And so I left and started my own business. I was doing social media for small businesses, built up a business and hated it. And for the first two years of entrepreneurship, I hated working one-on-one -on -one with clients, mainly because I didn't know how to set boundaries. So they walked all over me. And then I learned how to create digital courses and teach people about online marketing through my own courses. And that's when everything changed. A lot of trial and error, but fast forward 14 years, I have a multi-million dollar business where I've helped over 50,000 students start businesses, build courses, and I really love what I do. And it all comes down to freedom. I believe that everyone deserves to make their money and create their freedom on their terms. So that's what my mission is in life. I love that. And as we were saying before we started, actually, I mean, I know your book definitely 
it, it tends to focus a lot on your inspiration and helping women. Right. But I found that the messaging in the book was universal. Like I found so much in there when it comes to one thing that I really thought was like, just it's, it's universal. And you talk about um, knowing your why. Mm. And we hear a lot about that, but I think there's a big connection between knowing your why and embarking on something like what you did to be your own boss. So talk about like sort of how you, how knowing your why connects to entrepreneurship and how successful you'll be or not. Yes. The importance of understanding why you want it, why you want to do it, what's in it for you and for those in your life. Why is that? And so important because it's going to get tough when you leave a nine to five job or just go after something big, a big goal that you have. There's going to be roadblocks and obstacles. And you have to make sure that when you are knocked down, your why is strong enough to pick you back up and send you back out. And so knowing why you want what you want is so incredibly important. And here's the beautiful thing. I believe that your why can be incredibly selfish, yeah. tends to expand and be greater and altruistic later. Mm -hmm. But in the beginning, it's okay if it's just about you because it's just that spark to get you going. So for example, my why, when I was still in that nine to five job, worked in a cubicle, my nine to five, I mean, my why was that I didn't want a nine to five job. I didn't want to be told what to do, when to do it or how to do it. I didn't want a boss anymore. I grew up with a really strict father. He was my first very big boss. It was his way or the highway. Then I went into the corporate world and had a lot of bosses, a lot of male bosses, and it was always their way. I didn't want that anymore. So my why was I wanted freedom and I wanted to be my own boss. Now, fast forward to where I am today and I wake up every morning and my why is that I want to teach more and more people how to create their own freedom. It's no longer about me, but it started about me. And I think that's what gave me the courage to take the leap and go after it. Mm -hmm. So the why can be ever changing, right? It doesn't yeah. have to be like, you, you know, once you decide your why, you're like, oh, well, that's, that, that's it. I'm stuck. You can evolve your why, basically. Absolutely. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I love the story um, that you, you share about your father and how, um, you know, very blue collar family and your father was the sort of the, the monetary breadwinner, but mom, of course, took care of the home and made sure you guys got to you know, your practices and everything. <laughs> but you also, I think you set up what many women go through where there's a validation that they're sort of programmed to try to attain in life. And many often, because we're in a very male-dominated society, it's in a male-dominated society. It starts at home, perhaps, with your father going after that approval and then into the corporate world. So, I mean, what role did that play? Was there a sense of misogyny when you were trying to break from that world? Or did anyone ever give you opportunities in corporate America? You said, well, nothing's going to happen here, so I have to leave? Or what role did sexism and misogyny play in this decision? You know, it really played a big role, but it was more so for me where I saw it first was I believed that I needed a man to help me achieve what I wanted to achieve. So of course, my first big leader was my father. And he, like you said, was the breadwinner. So it was definitely, he was leading the way and we needed him in order to have the livelihood that we had. Then when I went out on my own, for some reason in my mind, I thought that I wasn't good enough to figure it out. And so having a lot of male bosses and men in my life to guide me and tell me I'm doing a good job and to give me opportunities, 
I really clung on to that. And, and you could call it daddy issues now. And believe me, I've done a lot of therapy <laughs> around it for sure. But I had that. And so I gravitated toward men. Am I doing a good job? Do you like me? Do I deserve to, to, uh, get the promotion or whatever? I'd look for that external validation and I tended to look toward men. Now, where this got me in trouble is fast forward a few years into my own business and I decided to take on a partner. He was a, uh, it was a guy who was a little bit younger than me that was doing great things in our niche. And I didn't even think twice. It was one night of sleep. I decided he came to me with the idea of being a 50 50 partner in a business that I had just hit almost a million dollars in on my own. So the business was doing well. And he came in and said, I see potential in you. I think we can make this even better. One night sleep and I gave 50% of my company to this guy. Wow. And it was my fault. He did nothing wrong, but it's, it's sad that I just always felt like I needed that. Now in the book, you'll read didn't go as planned and it yeah. kind of <laughs> fell apart and it was very, very uh, traumatic to me, but I came out of it on the other side, but that's really where it showed up. I really felt like I always needed a man to help me. Yeah. And I think that it's one of those things, as I said, you know, pro women are programmed that way, but I love there's a, a line you use in the book and I don't, I want to, don't want to misquote it, but I love where you talked about letting the, the glass ceiling that women are crashing through now finally become the floor in which we stand. I absolutely love that because I think that many women are, are realizing that power that they have, how they have been systemically othered in the business. And you also talk about it's even more sort of, I guess, amplified for women of color. Yes. Ethnicities, marginalized women. So speak a little bit about what you've noticed in that particular demographic of how they are impacted by these lack of opportunities for women in business. It drives me crazy to see it. And luckily I'm seeing it less and less in the world that I'm in as, you know, we start to talk about it more and more and demand the respect that these women deserve. But what I've seen is that women of color just get passed by. And so what happens is like when opportunities come up, I have been on so many panels and I'm, I'm not proud of this years ago before it was very clear that I needed to make a change. I'd be on panels and it would be all white men and then maybe one black man and then one woman. And it was a white woman. It was usually me or someone I knew. And I didn't do anything about it. I think because I looked around and thought, well, there's at least I'm the one woman here. At least I got on the panel, That's some but progress, it's not right. good, right? Some progress, but not good enough. And so one thing that I've learned is that now when I'm invited to a panel, I will say, who have you invited? What women are there? What women of color? I won't do it unless they show me that there's diversity. Now, this is not me being a great person. This is me doing what I should be doing because now I have influence. I have a voice. What's the point? But I just see so many women, uh, especially women of color, just not even being invited, not even being given a chance. And here's the challenge. When you're not given a chance, you don't get to grow your audience. You don't get to make the money that other people are making because you're not getting out in front of the right audiences to know how brilliant you are. And so sometimes what I think we need to do, those people that are in positions to invite other people on, now I invite people that might not be making millions yet, but there's a lot of potential there. Invite them on, get them on your podcast, start uh, showcasing them because they are absolutely capable of being just as strong as all the other women that are up on those platforms. 
but invite them in so they get the opportunity. And this is something that I didn't do for many years and I'm really disappointed in myself, but I won't go back. Well, I love that you have rectified that by today having a very different approach. I mean, that's the, that's evolution. So, you know, that's part of the journey of like saying, okay, now how can I be part of the solution versus a part of the problem? And so uh, that's commendable. And I think it's also really aligned with this current affirmative action issue with the Supreme Court, because you bring up a good point. The people are there. The talent is there. The skills are there, but it's about connecting the people who may not otherwise have access to those hiring pools or those hiring managers or those corporations. It's really just connecting dots with people who have been sort of systemically shut out, but they're, they're talented. They, they belong to be there. It's so true. I I wish I could remember this woman's name, but I watched an interview and I I think she was a lawyer. She's a black woman and she was a lawyer. And she was saying, I would have never gotten into Harvard without affirmative action. Uh, Joy Reid. That's yes, uh, on MSNBC. I saw that. Amazing. Yeah. So good. I love that you knew her name to give Mm -hmm. her the respect. Joy Reid. And she, she was saying, I was in a small town in a small school. There's no (laughs) way they would have noticed me. Right. But look at everything she's done because Mm. she took advantage of I got there. Now she did all the hard work. No one did that for her. Yeah. Someone needed to open the door. And Mm -hmm. that's why I think it's so important. Yeah. And I think that's a great point too. Even often, and not just women of color, but in general, sometimes based on other stereotypes, if a woman's overtly attractive or overtly feminine and attractive at a job, there's an assumption that she, it's like Elle Woods. And you know, it's, it's like, there's an assumption that she got it some through some other osmosis. Right. But at the end of the day, you know, there are really, really qualified people who are yeah. um, just needing the opportunity. So I really love that you do that. Um, now, also in the book, I have so many great moments that I've highlighted here that I love. Well, first of all, you talk about a lot of the pitfalls, which I love, and the things that we tell ourselves. And you were talking to women primarily, I guess, again, as entrepreneurs, but in general, some of the pitfalls, like telling yourselves before you start a business, things like, I don't have any capital to get started, or uh, I'm too afraid I can't do it. Or one of my favorites, which is like, you know, I don't think I can ever really make an income at that anyway. And so you almost you stunt your own dream before you even get out the box, but you still have a passion. So how do you suggest people get beyond all those usual self-inflicted doubts that they're putting on themselves? Okay. So these come up a lot. Like what if no one even wants to buy what I have to put out there? Or what if I can't build a following? Or like you said, I don't have enough capital. And so these are very normal fears, but that's what they are. They're fears. They're not reality. The number one thing I think we need to do is we need to look around and find proof that it can be done, but be careful. So when you look around and you think, oh wait, she did it and she did it or he did it. You can't say, yeah, but they had the help of XYZ. Like Mm. one of my fears is that people will look at what I've been able to do because my goal is I want to be an example of what is possible. But my fear is sometimes people will look at me and think, well, she worked for Tony Robbins and he's a big name. Mm -hmm. So that opened doors for her. But what I want to tell people is I I ended my career at Tony Robbins in a beautiful way, but I don't have a relationship with them. It's not like he's opening doors for me and, and helping me build this business. I left that chapter and I started anew. So we have to be careful that when we're looking for inspiration, which is my first tip, absolutely do so. Find proof that it's possible. Don't make excuses for them that that's how they did it. You have no idea how hard it was for somebody else to get to where they're at. Just look at them as proof. If they did it, so can I. 
Another thing that comes up is that it's just so easy to doubt ourselves and say, yeah, but I don't have that education or I don't have that kind of savviness on video or whatever it might be. Of course you don't because you've never had the experience. You have to let yourself take imperfect action. If you look at my very first video that I recorded in my business, I had this little short bob, hardly any makeup, totally washed out. I had a bed behind me because I was in a spare bedroom (laughs) and there was nothing glamorous about it. But if I didn't make that first video, 14 years later, I would not get to talk to you Mm -hmm. about these important issues. You have to take imperfect action. But so scary, but so worth it. Again, coming back to the why. Are you willing to take the risks and be scared, doing it scared? What is your why? It has to get you up in the morning to do scary things. Mm, I love that. And and I love also to get back to the whole know your why. I love that you stress that, you know, your why can be completely selfish and, and maybe determined by something to be frivolous. Like I want to make more money, period. Or I want to have a life where I'm going to go I'm taking 10 vacations a year yes. and, and, and it's okay. I mean, as long as you are authentic and that is your mission, I think that's what drives you to achieve it. I do too. And it leads you to bigger things where you're going to start impacting more lives, but it's okay to start with what you want and you deserve to get clear on what you want. And I think a lot of the times we just don't allow ourselves to go there. Yeah. And also when you speak about the obstacles we put in front of us, such as, and I <laughs> rarely do I laugh out loud with books, but you made me laugh out loud. That's <laughs> a business card story. I cracked up. Oh, geez. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I, please tell the business card yeah. story. It was so funny. So basically when I help people build their businesses online, they tend to focus on things that are not important. And so I have to have a beautiful website and I'm not going to do anything until that website is up and running. No, you don't. I had one of the ugliest websites on the web and I made a million dollars with it. You do not. (laughs) But another thing is you do not need business cards. People don't use them as much anymore. We have so many other ways to connect. But at the time, I believed I needed a good business card. And oh, you bet I thought I needed to be original and unique. So I got these really cool business cards created. They were a square. They were red and metallic. So they kind of had a little shine to them. And when they came in the mail and I was so proud to give out my business (laughs) cards, I opened it up and I thought, I have a condom wrapper. I have a condom wrapper for my business card. That's the only thing it looked like. And recently, like a year ago, someone was cleaning out their garage and they were going through a bunch of paperwork and found my business card and sent me a picture. I'm like, yep, that's a condom wrapper. It was ridiculous. So don't make that mistake. We don't need, we don't need business cards. It's a different time. Absolutely. I mean, they're, they're nice, you know, but yeah, I mean, that's not, that's not a thing. And now there's all these like digital options and everything. Yeah. But I love in the book where you said you can only, imagine now looking back on handing that card out how many people thought you were handing them a condom which is, which is <laughs> maybe what, that's why i got really popular I mean, maybe that's know, where my success came from you never know gotta have a gimmick <laughs> whatever works honey i'm just saying i don't i'm not mad at you at all but you know when it comes to i guess entrepreneurship and people trying to find a space it's also important to stress again a lot of things been done already. And like you're saying, people get stuck with this idea of, well, it's already been done. But I, I I like examples you give where don't get stifled by that either because, you know, there's billions of people in the world. And yes, there's people doing the same thing, but it's it's about what you're bringing differently to it, which is also you talk about knowing, I think it was like the, the you factor. Yes. You call. So, so speak a little bit about how that plays into 
being an entrepreneur, your own special gifts? I think it's important to spend some time and really understand what makes you special. And the, the punchline is we all have those qualities. Sometimes we don't believe in ourselves enough or love ourselves enough to even find it. And, but it's important that you really understand what can you bring to the table? It doesn't matter if it's already been brought to the table before. No one will do it quite like you do. And the reason and the proof for that is no one has your background, your experiences, your traumas, your joys, your wins. No one has that exact combination. And all of that makes you who you are. And so we have to really double down on what makes us unique. So one of the things that I kind of uncovered over the years, and it kind of takes a while to really hone in on that unique you factor is that I work with a lot of newbies and I know how intimidating it is when you're in the online world and you hear conversions and funnels and email subscribers mm. and all of that. We don't learn that in school. So it's very intimidating to navigate all of that. So my style, my uniqueness is that I'm a virtual handholder, step by step, no step stone left unturned. That is what I'm known for. And once I started to do that just naturally and people gravitated toward it, I saw it, but I had to do something first. That's that imperfect action you've got to take and it will uncover itself if you pay attention, but you've got to find that thing and double down on it and really just stand in that. Am I someone that uses really big words and sounds really smart? I'm not, I wish I was, but I'm not. So there's a lot of things I'm not, but I know who I am. And I think that's the beautiful thing about entrepreneurship. If you want to grow personally, become an entrepreneur because there's no way you can do this and be successful if you don't work on yourself, loving yourself, accepting yourself, showing up as yourself. Yeah, yeah, leaning into who you are. And I think that also ties into the diversity conversation because very often with people who are from various ethnic backgrounds or marginalized groups, they very often think they have to suppress that part of themselves to enter into what would be like a, a traditionally white corporate environment. And what happens is you're probably homogenizing yourself so that you're becoming not very interesting. You're taking all the good stuff out by trying to pretend you're something different. So I think companies and businesses would be further along if they welcomed in all those textures yeah. and backgrounds and perspectives. I mean, I think we, we'd be in a much better place in general, I think. Absolutely. And it just makes businesses so much more interesting. One of the things that we did that we made a commitment to years ago is stop hiring people that just remind me of myself because now we've got a bunch of me's running <laughs> yeah, everywhere right. and there's nothing interesting about the business beyond just that one thing. And so having a lot of different personalities, but as a leader, I had to let go of my ego because if someone came into the business and they just had a different, they were raised in a different culture, they did things differently. Maybe they were soft-spoken or louder than me, one or the other, they just showed up different. That doesn't mean that it's bad. I'm not the end-all be-all, but it's very easy when you start your own business to look for more people like you to bring in your world. Yeah. I do not think that is the answer. So we've had such a more rich, interesting company. I have a team of 20 full-time virtual employees. And once we brought in more diversity, it made my content better. It made me better. It made the products we do more interesting. I support that 100%. Mm. And how would you define, I mean, we talk about autonomy and independence and achievement and success, but those things sort of mean different things to different people. So if you were to take something, I think, as elusive as success 
and try to define it. What would that mean for someone? Like, you know, what would success mean for a person trying to be an entrepreneur? I definitely think it could mean so many different things depending on what you want. Again, going back to that why. But at the end of the day, I've never met an entrepreneur who didn't crave or value freedom. Now, what freedom means to somebody, it could be, well, I'm curious. When I say as an entrepreneur, you can have more freedom. What does that mean to you? It sounds like you work. I don't want to say work when you want in a way that sounds like uh, negligent, but it sounds like you set your own hours, which means you then maybe can have time for other things also that are important to you. Financial security, a job, uh, you, you know, you've chosen something that you don't feel like you're a slave to because you enjoy the work, you chose it. So those are like three things that come to mind when I hear that. And I think that's very normal. To me, that's what I would have said as well. All of those, I want all of those. But I think deep down when someone like, if they were to press me like, but why, why do you need all those? What does that freedom really do for you? It allows me to design a life on my terms where I get to call the shots. So for example, this is what I love about entrepreneurship. When I launched this book, I launched it at the end of February. The book came out on a Tuesday. My mother-in-law unexpectedly got sick on a Wednesday, had to go to the hospital. Very unusual. Like we were like, what is going on? By that Saturday, she had died. And so it was horrible. My husband's a, a mama's boy. It was just horrific. However, that whole next week, I took it off. I said, take everything off my calendar. Let me be with his family. My team can handle whatever we need to, but let's cancel everything. That is the freedom that I want and need so that I can be there for the things that matter most mm. to me. If I was in a nine to five job, that would have been harder. I could probably get the time off, but it would have disrupted a lot of different things. And I would have had to been right back. I got to ease back slowly because it's my business. That is what is so beautiful about entrepreneurship. When done right, when you build a business that allows you to do those things. Wonderful words of wisdom. And I am so happy you were here today because I, for us, our audience, young college age people who are just getting out in the world, also non-traditional students too. And so there's like about 1.7 million people in our community. So wow. this is going to be quite a, a great bit of information. So thank you so much for being here today on Motivational Mondays. Corey, thanks so much for having me. Take care. Thank you for listening to Motivational Mondays presented by the National Society of Leadership and Success and available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Corey Andrew Powell, and I'll see you again here next week.